lecture two part two of the groundwork of the christian virtues by william bernard ullathorne this librivox recording is in the public domain lecture two on the nature of christian virtue part two where the will is enchained to self-love or relaxed under the influences of vanity or is languid by reason of sensual indulgence the spiritual habits of virtue are weak and what are called good resolutions are feeble and generally speaking ineffectual the spiritual appetite of such persons is commonly low and queasy it wants self-denial to give it tone and humility to give it hunger the phrase good resolutions is too often doubtful if not painful in the mouths of persons who pretend to piety these good resolutions are often little more than weak and wavering pictures in the imagination or words parroted by the lips rather than decisions of the will that lead to action who is ignorant of those strings of good resolutions that lead to nothing who has not loathed the excuse put forward for some never do well that his intentions are good who is not familiar with the significant proverb that hell is paved with good intentions these are the intentions of the imagination fancies without reality beautifully painted trees that will neither live nor bear fruit the habit of making weak and ineffectual resolutions doomed in their birth to go no farther can scarcely be called a virtuous habit although sometimes truly good intentions may fail through human weakness or some other cause but a habit of make-believes weakens our hold on virtue and feebles the soul by indulging in pretentious nothings and gives occasion first to self-complacency and then to discouragement because of constant failure it is far better to form a few real decisions that will come to practice than to formulate a number of imaginary intentions that will have no other result than to dishearten and lower the courage of the soul this is but playing and trifling with the virtues as if they were not the goods of the soul not of priceless value but something not worth being in earnest about if you make a promise to another person you feel dishonoured unless you keep your promise you are cautious therefore how you make such promises and how you neglect your engagement if you make an engagement with yourself unless some just reason prevents its fulfilment you ought to feel equally discontented with yourself if you neglect to fulfil your engagement for this breaks down your self-discipline if you neglect a promise made to god the matter is more grave if you deliberately and formally make the promise of a better thing to god it partakes the nature of a vow you see then how demoralizing it is to the soul to make engagements lightly and inconsiderately with the virtues as if in grave matters you trifled with them 
as we should shrink from being dishonest either in word or deed with our neighbours let us not use dishonest pretensions with ourselves or before god as the decision of the will is the essential principle in practice on which all virtue turns it is all important to understand by what means decision may be made firm strong and conducive to action those means may be reduced to three when experience shows that ordinary resolutions fail it is evident that there has been a want of decision in the will the first thing to be done is to pray for light upon that virtue and for grace to bring the will to action that you may obtain that force from god which you have not in yourself the second is to bring the will under the light of the virtue by reflecting upon it and by considering its motives in god and before god that the will may feel its beauty and justice and the good that will arise from its exercise the spiritual appetite for the good of the virtue will thus be awakened and touched by its motives will gain some impulse to decide the will to act to read some solid instruction on that particular virtue and make that instruction a matter of thought and reflection will greatly help to interest you in that virtue and to saturate the will with desire of it great examples that exhibit the virtue in action will also do much to inspire a love and a taste for its beauty and value and draw the heart to a veneration of its excellence as that which is most pleasing to god above all the meditating on the example of our lord jesus christ the life and perfect form of every virtue and the fountain of its grace will not only warm the will to decision but bring the grace that gives decision the third means invaluable for true decision is to take counsel with yourself the ordinary business of life ought to teach you that a vague resolution is no decision when you have anything real to do in the matters of this life's duties you shape out the whole line of action in your mind you take counsel with yourself when that is done you see your way clearly half your work is done you become interested in it you feel it it is like a part of yourself your will is decided you set to work and would feel something wanting to you if you did not carry it out but it is the same will that you have to manage in the duties of the soul and to manage by the same methods counsel shall keep thee says the proverb and prudence shall preserve thee in taking such counsel with yourself never see small difficulties and don't let your imagination frighten you with the contrary interests of nature remembering that it is the object of virtue to overcome nature and make it a sacrifice to god counsel before resolution makes the decision clear definite and practical counsel following immediately upon resolution is the beginning of action 
and the pledge that it will be carried out for we repeat the soul becomes interested in what she has thought out is encouraged by clear views of her way and is warmed with the desire of accomplishing what she has diligently planned thus every step in counsel gives its impulse to the will these general rules are applicable to all the virtues because they are derived from the nature of the soul as those who first learn a language have constantly to go back to the rules of grammar so those who first begin in earnest the noble exercise of the virtues have constantly to go back in the rules of managing the will but as those who have acquired the habit of speaking correctly think no more of the rules of speech but use them by habit and unconsciously those who are well trained in the rules of managing the will can wisely exercise the virtues by force of habit without thinking of the methods upon which they act we have now to consider the virtues themselves according to their distinctions their unity their order and their progress the will is one but the virtues are many they do not divide the will but the attention of the will as the eye is one but is occupied by many things in succession so is the one will engaged by many things in succession each object that affects the will in a different way gives rise to a different virtue either those objects are good and satisfying to the soul and attract the will to desire and seek them or they are evil or injurious to the soul and have to be denied and rejected or they are an inevitable trial and cause of suffering to the soul and have to be endured take the three theological virtues whose objects are the greatest good of the soul god is the object of them all but of each in a different way because each of these virtues has its special object in god the revealed truth of god is one object of the soul and its chief motive is his divine authority it is possessed by the mind through the adhesion of the will and it forms the virtue of faith the divine promises that god is all good and mighty to fulfil are another magnificent object of the soul inseparable from god and to trust with all our good and desire to these promises is the virtue of hope but as god is the sovereign life and good who loves us and has made us for himself to be partakers of his life and good the love of god above all things forms the virtue of charity if we turn to the objects of the moral virtues we find ourselves placed in a variety of relations both with god and with our fellow-men and that these relations bring many claims upon us and call upon us for many things that are due to them such as honour reverence respect obedience duty service protection love trust gratitude 
and the giving to each his own these and the like form the virtue of justice we find again that sufferings come to the soul as well as to the body in this life of probation they are consequently the object of the will which exercises the virtues of fortitude and patience by enduring them in a right spirit and from elevated motives and so preserves the soul from perturbation anger or any other weakness of the kind there are other objects that bear upon us through our inferior appetites whether spiritual or carnal which when unlawfully or unwisely indulged are noxious to the soul and even to the body giving rise to disturbing defiling or destructive vices such as pride vanity uncleanness gluttony inebriety inordinate curiosity vices of the tongue or pen and the corrupting influence of evil communications but these and the like are controlled or kept away from the will by the virtues of temperance humility and modesty the due order measure and harmony of the virtues is another and superior good of the soul which is regulated by the virtue of prudence and it is a maxim of the wise that no virtue is a virtue without prudence these examples will show how every virtue is determined by its object and by the special way in which that object affects the will and that object gives to the virtue its special character and degree of excellence and to the will its special habit and mode of action when we speak of the superior and inferior will we mean the different inclinations of one and the same will according as it tends to superior or to inferior things for whilst the will is solicited on the superior side by the light of justice and the attraction of divine things it is solicited on the inferior side by the blind appetites and passions of the body or by the equally blind appetite of self-love st paul by a figure calls these appetites and passions the will of the flesh although the body has not a will but inclinations and appetites that affect the will when the will obeys the grace of the holy spirit it enters into the will of god when it obeys the disorderly inclinations of the body it becomes the will of the flesh but it is the same will in a changed condition spiritual when it ascends to superior good carnal when it descends to the inferior appetites hence st paul says they who are according to the flesh mind the things that are of the flesh but they that are according to the spirit mind the things that are of the spirit romans chapter eight verse five the unity of the will in which the virtues meet and are exercised explains the unity of the virtues with each other and how they work together and lend their motives to each other this uniting of the virtues in one and the same will 
enables us also to understand how some virtues are not only particular but universal virtues as justice for instance enters into them all and prudence guides them all and charity gives its life to them all and humility subjects them all to god thus the four cardinal virtues enter into all the rest for prudence is the discretion of each virtue justice its rectitude fortitude its firmness and temperance its moderation if we accept the love of god which is supreme above all and is the end and life of all the virtues and in which there can be no excess every virtue holds a middle path between two opposing vices one of which is an excess and the other a defect thus faith stands between superstition as an odious excess and unbelief as a lamentable defect and hope holds on its course between presumption and despair prudence therefore guides all the virtues on their due path between excess and defect temperance protects each virtue from what would interfere with its purity and vigour fortitude enables each virtue to master its difficulties and to endure what cannot be overcome and justice gives to each virtue its due conformity with the eternal order expressed in the divine law not only do the general enter into the particular virtues and also into each other just as certain material elements are general and enter into each particular body such as air heat and electricity but the special virtues have also an intimate connection with each other and for the same reason that their habits exist in the same will although they do not always exist there in the same degree because they are not always equally exercised but from the fact of their being united together there springs this important rule that the exercise of any one virtue influences and strengthens all the others and especially those that are the nearest related to the virtue in exercise the fathers of the church who gave so much study to the interior operations of the soul are of one accord on this important subject st ambrose says where one virtue is chiefly put forth the others are present because the virtues are united and blended together st augustine remarks that although each virtue differs from the rest in character they can in no wise be separated from each other st jerome observes that whoever has one virtue has the others as well not as properties of that one but by participation st gregory tells us that no single virtue is a true virtue unless it be mingled with others and st bernard notes that the virtues cannot be separated from each other this however refers to the virtues possessed not to those that are wanting in the soul as when a person for example is devoid of charity
how could the virtues in isolation encounter the conspiracy of the vices for we know that the vices act in combination and it is obvious that their combination can only be effectually encountered by the combination of the virtues we have dwelt upon this point because it is a great encouragement to know that in directly cultivating one virtue we are cultivating the others and especially those general virtues that enter into all the special virtues such as faith humility prudence justice and charity of the moral virtues the four that are called cardinal may be considered as a quadrature enclosing all the rest of the natural virtues penetrating them through and making them firm and secure on every side but when by the descent of divine grace we rise from the natural to the supernatural virtues we reach a higher quadrature that embraces the first with the divine power and lifts up the plane of the soul to the solidity of a cube in the four virtues of faith hope charity and humility faith brings the light of divine truth to all the virtues hope gives them their aspiration towards the divine good and lifts their courage charity brings them into union with god and humility subjects them to god with reverence and gratitude we may consider these divine virtues in a threefold order in the order in which they are implanted in the soul in the order of their excellence and merit or in the order in which they work our reparation the first of the supernatural virtues implanted is faith yet not without the grace of humility which submits the soul to faith for we must believe before we can know what to hope or love but in the order of excellence and holy operation charity is the first giving life and complete form to all the virtues and exerting its sweet empire over them the love of god is the sovereign virtue that all virtues serve and under whose rule and influence every virtue rises in dignity and power in building the soul as a habitation for god love is the master builder whom the other virtues serve and obey faith holds the light and exhibits the plan prudence regulates the work fortitude carries it on but charity is the chief architect in the order of our reparation the first work would seem to be humility for as the beginning of all our evil is the pride that goes before ruin the beginning of our rectification must be humility in consonance with this order of human preparation our blessed redeemer began both his example and his doctrine with humility blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven st matthew chapter five verse three but of the virtues that put us in order towards our final end what brings us directly with all our affections to god is charity st paul therefore says 
the end of the commandment is charity from a pure heart and a good conscience and faith unfeigned one timothy chapter one verse five the fear of god is so closely allied with humility that it will be well to consider how this virtue stands related with the rest in four distinct books of holy scripture we are taught that the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom wisdom is that sense and relish of good which the knowledge of divine things gives to the heart inspiring us with the love of them there are consequently two elements in wisdom knowledge and affection the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom as it respects knowledge because as the scripture says the fear of the lord driveth out sin ecclesiasticus chapter one verse twenty seven and when the soul is cleansed from sin the eye is open to truth in the second place fear is the flight of evil error and deception in the third place fear is wakeful and watchful and expels negligence according to that of the scripture he that feareth god neglecteth nothing ecclesiastes chapter seven verse nineteen in the fourth place fear disperses the tumour of pride and introduces humility which disposes the heart to wisdom although the first beginning of fear is servile this prepares the soul for chaste filial and loving fear which brings the enjoyment of truth and the sweet relish of divine things which is the second element of wisdom and ecclesiasticus teaches us how intimately this wisdom depends on the holy fear and childlike reverence of god to whom he asks hath the discipline of wisdom been revealed and who hath known her wise counsels there is one most wise creator almighty and a powerful king and greatly to be feared who sitteth upon his throne and is the god of dominion he created her in the holy ghost and saw her and numbered her and measured her and he poured her out upon all his works and upon all flesh according to his gift and hath given her to them that love him the fear of the lord is honour and glory and gladness and the crown of joy the fear of the lord shall delight the heart and shall give joy and gladness and length of days with him that feareth the lord it shall go well in the latter end and in the day of his death he shall be blessed the love of god is honourable wisdom and they to whom she shall show herself love her by sight and by the knowledge of her works ecclesiasticus chapter one verses seven through fifteen the soul begins to have this sense of god when touched by fear fear searches the soul and corrects and purifies what is amiss in her fear expels pride fear opens the faculties to the influence of grace being the forerunner of humility the fear of god sifts the virtues clean of the earthly affections and the selfish motives that mix with them 
the fear of god moves the will to many good works and would rather abound than fail in them for there is no want in the fear of god which is like a paradise of blessing ecclesiasticus chapter forty verses twenty seven and twenty eight the holy fear of god keeps the virtues and will not let them escape into the atmosphere of vanity but a soul without fear is not safe from a fall fear shuns danger and fences her works with the safeguard of humility end of lecture two part two